In our culture, we learn through stories. But what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life? What if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative? My name is Tim Kroll, and on this podcast, you will hear real stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Real people sharing the hard times, the bends in the roads along life's journey. If you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. All right, welcome back. Once again, we have another story of a journey of an individual that I met. I think it's now been three years, Dave, I think that we first met, but it's definitely been an interesting ride. We actually met through COVID, during the COVID time, I should say, and we're part of a similar group. And so kind of already know a little bit about the background of what you do, but if we're going to jump into it, let's, let's do this. And this is what the narrative story is all about. So who is Dave? You give me 30 seconds. We just met in an elevator. Who would you say like, hey, who are you? <laughs> I found out that there's a name for me it's called an empath and for years i never knew what that was just someone that's empathetic just feels for people i went through a lot of pain in my life a lot of loss so in my business which i can get into later i pretty much use that i'm very good listener i care about people's needs and unfortunately it tends to be in the business world which their needs are just like want to make more money Still, that's a need and I'm a good listener and I can relate and I can be very empathetic towards people that I come in contact with. Yeah. So this is going to be an incredible journey and I'm actually even more excited now. I have heard that the only way to truly become like an empath or somebody that's very empathetic is to have gone through the trauma yourself. And that's really where that... I don't, I don't know if it's a skill or a talent or something that is an experience that becomes an extremely powerful tool, but it's definitely that journey that gives you the ability to be that way. So let's kind of dive in and let's start start with the beginning part of it. What was the narrative that was formed in your life before you really entered into the adulthood? What was life like for you and the the conclusions and the narratives that you brought or came to based on your your growing up life? So growing up, I was always an artist, illustrator, designer, always. So I I was not one of those guys who said, I don't know, I'm going to go to college and figure out what I want to do. I knew when I was six years old what I wanted to do, and I'm doing that right now. So I'm kind of a rare guy. I don't know what percentage of people are like that, but I do know 80% of people who get a degree are not in the field that they should be in. Mm. I'm not one of those. I always knew I would be an artist of some sort. Um, The internet wasn't even around then, so that's where the designer end comes in. But I'm also a musician and songwriter, so I led a dual goal life in my brain where I'll push a little of the music, push a little of the art, little of the music, little of the art. And by art, I mean music is art, but I mean by art, I mean designing and being a logo designer, branding guy, marketing, all that when I talk about art. So I didn't try to say, well, I'm not going to do music. I'm going to, this is going to be my career. I'll do the design, the art. I always like went back and forth. I had my day job as the art all the time, but skipping through my life, there would be intersections where I'd, I would get a little bit more focused on the music and songwriting. So that was where I thought I would go in life that I would be doing two things. I would have a full-time job 
either my own business or working for someone, but I assumed I probably would be working for myself. I just felt that way. I never actually verbalized it, but I thought I would be working for myself, but I didn't know if it would be music or art. It would be one of those two. So I, I at least narrowed it down to two. Yeah. That was what I thought the future held. And, and of course I thought like everyone else, I'll eventually get married and have kids and blah, 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 all that stuff. Right. But when you're looking at that, and this is where I find it super interesting. It sounds like you solidified the passion that you had very, very early in your younger age, but where did you come up with the idea that, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be in my own business because most of us, and I'm going to include you in my age, most of us growing up in that kind of generational aspect, we were always told that we were supposed to have a job. We were supposed to go to school, get a job with the corporation. That whole narrative was typically thrown at us as we were growing up. So to feel that, where did that come from at the young age of being able to say, yeah, I'm pretty much going to have my own business? Well, that's, that's, you're talking to an artist. So artists don't like to conform. So <laughs> I I never, <laughs> my goal was never join a corporation. You're kidding. That was like last. So, and you know, 60 years later, I'm still, I'm doing what I thought I would do, which is kind of odd, but very normal to me. So I think just being a rebel, you know, I'm a, I'm a right brain guy. So I just, I'm not saying I can't take orders from people. Basically by owning your own business, you're not your own boss. You now have 500 bosses. One thing I did not know, they're like, oh, you must be great at owning your own business. I'm like, you're your own boss. Like, uh, no, I've got 500 bosses, (laughs) but every client's my boss, but I guide my boss to think the way they should to promote their brand. So nothing really guided me to be unique and individual. I just, I always was, that's Mm. who I am. That's my essence of who I am. Yeah. So was there other things that came about, especially as you were entering challenges and things that when you approached them, you realized that, Hey, I, I need to adjust or I need to to work on because these were some of the foundational ways that I thought about doing life. And then it just didn't apply. Yeah. So going into business, I just thought, Oh, I know how to design logos. I know how to do graphic design and then eventually web design and all that other stuff. But I had to adjust because I didn't have it all. I did not know how to sell. I had no clue. I just thought customers would come to me. Go <laughs> like, oh, that's a whole nother skill set that was not normal to me when I was five years old, when right. I thought I would be my own boss someday. And that was really, really difficult. I mean, I had a bunch of jobs in the art field, working at local newspapers and whatnot. But I was working for a friend of mine who was a designer who had his own business. And I worked with him for a few months. And then he said, uh, call me up one day. He says, Dave, I'm kicking you out of the nest. I'm a bird kicking the baby out of the nest. I'm moving to North Carolina. And he was up in Rhode Island with me at the time. Moving to North Carolina, starting another business. It looks like I'm breaking up my business. And I was like, whoa. And went home. I told my wife. I said, you know what? Now's the time where I think I need to start my own business. That was 21 years ago, almost 22 years ago, where I started my own business. So I was involved. It's not like from the get from 18 years old up, I always worked for myself. I didn't. I don't want to lead anybody astray, but I always knew it's just a matter of time. I just need to make that switch. But when I made the switch, 
it was great. I knew I could provide the services for the customers that I had at the time. But again, I didn't know how to sell. And that was a struggle. Like, yeah. I get people. Yeah. So, okay. So let's walk kind of through that, that the whole process there a little bit. So you knew as at an early age, this is the path that you're going to be on. Uh, and then you stepped into a couple of the different aspects of learning how to accomplish that path. So whether it was music or art or design, walk me through a little bit of the educational, and maybe it wasn't a challenge. Maybe it just all come kind of came naturally to you, but I'm sure you had to kind of twist and turn a little bit to learn your craft, uh, to become more skilled at it. Yeah. So I did not go to college. My father had up here right around the corner literally is our Rhode Island School of Design, which is the number one or the number two art school in the world, depending on who you talk to, right in Providence, Rhode Island. So that was like my goal. That was something I wanted to do. My mother kept pushing it like, you got to go there. Someday you're going to go there. But, you know, when you're 18, 19, you just get basic jobs. You know, I worked at an art store. So I've, every single job I worked in was all in the design industry. I never worked a job that was not in that. So I worked there, worked for the, the newspaper, like I said, and then that got bought out by another newspaper. So I was always designing ads and advertising in the newspaper world. I'm a newspaper guy by trade. Okay. So you learn, and then the computer started to come out. I had to learn Macintosh and like, what is an Apple, you know, learning that, but just always sketching, just studying, I guess. I, I, I learned my trade by studying. I'd go to the museums a lot. I would look at ads in newspapers. I, I just pull up a magazine and look at it and wonder what's grabbing me. And I realized very early on that there's, there's always three strong elements in an ad. You know, it's that heading, it's the picture, and it's that closing statement. Some of the best ads were like that. No one had to teach me that. It was just, that was great. And not to be graphic, but I remember sitting on the toilet in the bathroom, you know, bored. You go in the bathroom and hopefully the audience can take this. And what's in front of me, but the tub with a bunch of uh, shampoo bottles. So I would grab a shampoo bottle and this is just a water bottle, but, and I would look at it and I'd like, wow, what did they print? For, did they print the blue first or the white first? And I'd look at the back end like, oh, they printed the white first. I wonder why they, cause you have to knock out the darker color. And then I would look at the back and, and see how the, the text is thin. So I, I basically learned by looking at stuff. Yeah, I would go in grocery aisles and look at cereal boxes and realize that all the cartoon characters on the cereal box, the tricks rabbit, the bear and sugar crisp and all that stuff, their eye pupils are always looking down slightly. And then I found out later that that was by design. They've done studies that was million dollar studies that if you have a character on a cereal box, if you have the pupil not dead in the center, but slightly lower. That's the height of the kids that are in the aisle and they feel like the character's looking at them. So they're grabbing it. They're making that connection. So early on, I realized you've got to connect with your audience. Even if you're a cartoon character on a tricks, the rabbit cereal box. And of course, years later, I realized that they've done other tests with that, but I just studied packaging, package design, logos, branding, webs not websites. Cause that wasn't even a thing. Billboards. I'd study billboards. I was so, a, I, I mean, I was the, the, of the world. You yeah, know? The, the the question that's kind of pounding in my head is just why? What created that curiosity? Why were you so intrigued by that? Because I'm inquisitive. I, I love it. It's because I was an artist from the get go. It was a gift. 
Uh. You know, it's a, I believe it's a God-given gift. He gave me that. You know, he could have made me a mechanic. I'm not. I cannot <laughs> brakes in a car to save me. There's a lot I cannot do. There's really a lot that I cannot do. But there are some things that I do that blow people away. I have no problem sharing that because I'm really hyper good at certain things. But I'm a mess in everything else. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm not perfect. Yeah, but I'm I'm perfectly broken in the right spots, I guess. So but I'm just I'm just inquisitive. I just love that, and that translates to people too. Like I love listening to people. I study people. Yeah, you know, consumerism. So you have to study people when you're yeah. out. Now, did did anything else? Like I, I know that's a gift, and I, it sounds like it's a God given talent there that you have. But was there anything else in your life that kind of I don't want to say motivate, but it's kind of like that. I mean, did, were your parents just encouraging you and motivating you to to become more like that and to embrace that? Yeah, my dad wasn't, didn't have a great relationship with him, um, but he actually owned a business. He he owned a carpentry okay. business. And, but I don't think that inspired me to go into business, but probably a little bit. You know, I remember coming home one day and seeing like all these business cards on the table and it was like, I saw my last name in it. I'm like, Don England, like my, that's my dad's name, Don. Like, wow, he's got business cards. Wow, that's how you do it. I felt bad he didn't ask me to design it for him, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> how old were you at that time? Oh, nine, 10, 11 ish, you know, a preteen. But my mom used to say, and this is a famous phrase of hers that she told me, I'll never forget it pick their brains. Three words pick their brains. And she means with anything, if you're learning a guitar solo from some blues guy at a club, you know, pick their brains. And it, it was the opposite of being prideful, saying, oh, I can do this. It's like, no, no, no. You are always going to pick their brains. So I will never forget that. Pick their brains. And I do that. If I'm talking to someone, I want to know why they do what they do. Huh. And I think that encouraged me. That made me inquisitive. My mom, I think, did. Yeah. By making me study people, study why they do what they do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I love that aspect. And again, so many times there's things that are formed in our own lives due to either A, somebody, like you said just now, they kind of just said a nice quick little word and we get that snapshot burned in our brain, like you said, where it's just, okay, this is how I'm going to live my life. And that sounds like it's really, you have adapted that as your narrative for the the extended period of, of your life. And, and that's yep. really, really cool. Did she model that as well? Other than just telling you, did she model that for you? Not, not entirely. She worked for corporations her whole life. She even told me once, like, David, you, she told me this when I was 10 years old. Like you have a talent, but I don't even know what my talent is. And I said, mom, everyone has a talent. And then I felt bad as I said it, because I knew it was coming next. She would ask me, well, what do you think mine is? Uh. I really didn't know what hers is other than just being a loving mom and being super, super supportive. But I don't think she modeled to pick their brains because she would have done more uh. with her life. I'm not saying she didn't do anything with her life, but she raised, you know, all of us, all our, all the kids, and she encouraged us. So it, it was great. But I don't think she truly set out to to live the life that she should have done. In fact, mm -hmm. I remember when she she told me the story when she was a teenager, 
living in Providence in the 50s, like 55, 56-ish, she wanted to be a flight attendant and travel the world. And back then, you had to be a nurse in order to become a flight attendant, which you just took some courses or whatever because you had to right. know how to help people if they pass out. Completely different world now. So she was studying to become a nurse and also to be to eventually become a flight attendant. She wanted to travel the world. Well, my dad kept knocking on the door as a 16, 17, 18-year-old, and her sister would say, Don is here. She's like, I'm studying. I'm upstairs studying. Tell him to go away. And he kept bugging her and bugging her. Finally, like all of her friends were getting married and she kind of gave in and then got married. And and that dream just kind of flew away. No pun. Yeah. Her flight disappeared. She told me that quite often growing up that she always wanted to travel the world. And, you know, I ended up marrying my wife and we traveled to Russia to adopt our two kids. You know, I've been to Iceland. I've been all over it. She's like, oh my gosh, I wish I could go there. And I always felt bad because she didn't. No, she didn't live up to that example she gave me, but somehow, I don't know, I, I grabbed onto it and it was more glue than it was to her. Yeah. So how did that impact you? Neil? I mean, because it sounds like that was a different time when you finally found out some, I'm sure she didn't share that with you when you were really young, at least I'm assuming that, but it was probably when you were older, when you found out that that was her dream that she had just kind of allowed to, like you said, kind of fly away. Did that impact you at all? Yeah, it was probably, I might've been a teenager and I'm like, wow, that's, that's too bad. I mean, I was old enough for her to tell me the, the bad news about your father, you know, that he hounded me. And finally I gave in and we started dating and got married. And, but then, and then even years later, I realized that, that probably she shouldn't have married him mm. and not to get into too much, which that's a hard thing to hear that there was not the intensity of love that she hoped to find. Mm. So that just made me sad. And I think that did affect my being choosy with who I end up with because I got married later. I got married at 35. Mm. So I just, I wasn't like a lot of my friends getting married at 22, 24, 25, 26, right. 27, 28. I mean, I waited 35 and my wife at the time, well, my fiance was 39. So we both kind of waited for each other. We were picky. I just didn't want to repeat what my mom had went through. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's some of the lessons and the things that you grew up with and were able to. So let's kind of transition in a little bit. And we've kind of talked about this already, but transition into, it doesn't sound like there was a major shift in your mindset, but I'm sure there were things that kind of either a set you back or there was a bend in the road of, like you mentioned your partner or the, the individual that you were working for all of a sudden was like, Hey, I'm leaving. I'm kicking you out of the nest. I mean, that's definitely a bend in the road. What would you say would be the major bend that you had experienced in order to get to the next station in your life or to the next growing point of your life? Something that hit me that that changed my direction or or got me to where I was going? Both, either or. I'll, I'll give you the prerogative to choose. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I just, I always had a vision to do what I'm doing in some respect. And of course, there's failure along the way. I, I guess I would ask it this way. Yeah. We know like there's seasons in our lives and sometimes we get real comfortable in those seasons. So it would have been easy for you to get comfortable in the season of your life, such as working for the individual and just creating and producing, or it might've been easy to start your business and then think that everybody was going to just show up and buy. And like you mentioned earlier, 
you realize you weren't that good at sales and you, you really had to learn about that because impending failure or bankruptcy or whatever else could have potentially been coming down the line. Mm-hmm. We all have those bends that either we choose to either push through change and adjust, or we can allow ourselves to fall back into a, what I would call a, like a comfort zone where you mm-hmm. just never, ever grow beyond where you're at. Right. Right. I think, you know, so when the whole kicking the bird out of the nest, that was a shocker for me because my friend who owned this company, and it was just him and I in his office, he had an office in his home. A couple of his clients were in the building two in New York that was bombed at 9-11. And so he lost two clients. And, and I mean, when he lost two clients, I meant he lost the clients. They all died. Like all of his clients died because mm. they were in two different buildings. And so it was tragic for him. And I was seeing that and he was building, he was building a book of business, but then when he, he kind of kicked me out of the nest and he left, I just felt like, oh my gosh, this is, this is crazy. I got to do something. I got to start going after this. I went to the library and read, you know, salesman, rainmaker, all these books about how to get sales and, and whatnot. So I, I think, I think that was a disruptor in my life. Just being let go by him. It wasn't like he laid me off. He just, the, it dissolved. Right. So that was, that was a biggie. So I had to like learn quick. And my wife was a, working at a hotel at the time. So I had to figure it out, but I didn't know what was going on. The other thing was uh, we found out we couldn't have kids. So after like two years of marriage, we realized what's going on, you know, we're, we're trying and then found out we weren't able to. So maybe it was our age 35. Although at that point I was 37 and she was 41. So we decided to adopt, which is very, very costly. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, you know, it's the mother of invention, right? It was a necessity. I, I had to figure this thing out. And I got invited to a networking group that people share referrals with each other. And I, I little by little, I learned how to become a salesman, but that was it. It was like, whoa, okay, you got to be out there networking at chamber of commerce or just, just generic networking events that happen in town. So yeah, it was just... It was like the, the carrot was always dangling in front of me. I didn't know how to get to the carrot. So by someone kicking me out of the job, I was like, whoa, I, I, I still had my eye on the carrot. Now what do I do? I've got no work. I yeah. got my own business. Started my own business. Whoa, this sucks. Two years of that and just some clients, like very little and barely bringing in any money. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to do something. But the carrot was still there. And right. for the people eating the carrot and I couldn't. So how did right. I, how I get there? I just think adversity in life, you know, not ha- being able to have kids realize, wow, well, we're going to adopt. We're just going to still make it happen because we, we want to have kids. We didn't let adversity get us down. You know, we went through a flood. My whole house was flooded, 10 and a half feet of water. Ugh. We were at the ground zero of uh, the March 30th flood that happened in New England. We were right at the river that all the news stations came to and our street was, you know, the ground zero of the ground zero. We were homeless for nine months, still trying to work. I mean, still, I had my eye on that carrot, but you have to do what you do. I mean, if you don't, if you don't have a vision for the future, then life can send you all different directions and you end up taking a job that you don't even want. But I think I always had my, I'm a visionary by nature. That's the easy part. 
So I always had that vision. I just so let me let me ask you this question. I think this is really key. Because you knew that your mom had given up on the dream, mm-hmm. did that motivate you to never give up? Did that create what we would call the narrative of your life that even through adversity and all the things that you just listed, was that the reason or the motivating factor to say, look, I'm going to keep pushing forward? I don't know if it was. It was probably one of them, knowing that I don't want to go down that road. You know, that's interesting. It may have been that. It may have been that. I just think that what's the option? Do I not go down this road of being a designer, which is who I am? I mean, that's not even unthink. That was unthinkable. Like, of course, I'm going to go down that road. But I just, you know, picking their brain, that whole thing, and choosing your uh, partner well, like those two things my mom taught me, unfortunately, yeah. on one end and fortunately on the other. Yeah. I, I think it was that. Yeah. So what do you do now to just reinforce your daily narrative? What are your habits and your patterns? How do you continue to move forward? Because it is easy to get complacent. It's easy to kind of start to fade back or say, well, I've, I've attained or whatever. What do you do on a regular basis to just keep moving and pushing through? Because I'm sure you're, you're probably facing adversity every once in a while it comes through. So. Oh yeah, like having a lot of clients. It's it's always well. You said five hundred bosses. I'm like, who can imagine? Like, how would you have five hundred bosses? <laughs> well, not at the same time. That I know. I get. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have yeah ongoing clients. We probably have thirty ongoing, and then some lose, and then you bring others. But over the years, I meant I don't mean five hundred right now. I got you. I, yeah. Well, so I'm addicted to this thing, the screen, because I'm always I'm a digital artist. I'm a digital marketer visual artist so i gotta get away and it's just like you gotta just rub your eyes and get into the woods and i've been desiring that a lot lately like more than ever i was not a a woodsy kid growing up although i hung out in the woods with friends but i was not a camper but i'm like really desiring to just get away see nature you know that's seeing what god created that's the, the ultimate creator and seeing the sun, seeing the color of the leaves and thing that I've been doing lately is forest bathing. I don't know if you heard of that. No. Lay down in a forest, literally lay down for about half an hour and just look up at the trees and just, it, it, in a way, it's kind of like meditating, but it's, you're bathing in the forest, forest bathing. Huh. And, uh, it's really, really, really good. It's like having a church service in the middle of the woods. You know, I said we backpack and we lay down in the woods in our tents and stuff. And I guess that's that's what we call bathing because we're down in the middle of the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as long as you're not in the tent, you got to be out of the right, be right, under right. a tree, look looking up, letting leaves actually fall on you. It's pretty good. Yeah. So <laughs> that you know that gets me refreshed. I should say maybe that uh, was the question you asked, but no, it, it is. Just me to go back to being in the digital world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're kind of getting close to the end of the time. Is there something that you feel like, hey, we've talked about a couple of different things here or something that you feel like, hey, I I really want to share this before we go. So as we've been talking through this and the challenges that you've kind of gone through the adversity, is there something that you would like to share just with people that are listening to say, take away this one thing? What would that one thing be? Yeah. The only thing that comes to my head is, and I heard this once, I did not come up with this, that when you see people, imagine an invisible sign over their head, like a neon sign saying, I'm going through hell, hmm. I'm going through hell, I'm going through hell, I'm going through hell, just flashing. And I've taken that with me for years because 
people are going through hell. They may be smiling. They may be in a checkout line at a super stop and shop or grocery store or on the road. And if someone's acting mean or something, they're, they're going through hell. No one wants to be mean. No one wakes up saying, today I'm going to be Hitler, you know, but we're going through stuff. So I think if I want anyone to remember anything about me, it would be that. Just know that there are people that are hurting everywhere and just be patient with people. When my family went, me and my wife and two kids, when we went through that flood, we were homeless. Then we ended up moving in with my parents for a few months. We ended up moving in. We moved in with the parents for a few months, moved back to the home, got rebuilt, rebuilt the home. Thankfully, we had flood insurance. Then my parents were at an age where they were in their 80s and they got dementia. Both my parents and my brother, Bill, who had Down syndrome, who lived with them. And I was very, very close to Bill. Bill was like, I, I'm, I'm who I am because of him. And they were all sick. So we ended up moving in with them, taking over the house and one by one, they, they passed away. And then my sister, who was 62 years old, passed away suddenly. And she was the only one in Rhode Island with me to help me take care of them alongside my wife. So, and then my three cousins died and then my, another cousin died and then uncle. So I lost like seven people in three years, three or four years. So a lot of pain. And I think that's, what's really changed me a lot over the last 10 years. So if, is there a takeaway? Yeah. People are going through hell, you know, their own hell hmm. and just be patient with people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. How, how can people get in contact with you? I mean, I, I love your story and I love the fact of how you listen to organizations and businesses and the people that you work with and you can take what, and maybe I'm making a commercial for you. I don't know, but I just, I love what you do, but I know that it's done out of a genuine heart to serve others and to be of service. And so I guess I'm recommending if anybody wants to get in touch with you, but also at the same time, if you're listening, how can somebody get in touch with you? Well, for my phone, I could give you my phone number. You could 401-345-9036. And through my website, through our website, I have a business partner now. It's So it's englandstudio.com, E-N-G-L-U-N-D, studio. And david at englandstudio.com is my email. Yeah, I do well with all three. You can text me, email me. You know, that's I, I carry over my vision of wanting to help people and also being an empath in a way, just being a creative guy, I guess. I mm -hmm. use that and everything. I, I'll. Someone asked me, what would you do if you retired? And I said, I, I don't even, that's like a bad word, that R word. I, I never want to retire. What would yeah. I do? I would still do what I do. So yeah. I would wake up on day one of my retirement and I would help a business exactly. or start a business. And I would help them brand themselves and do, you know, yeah. help them with their social media for free. I mean, that's just what I would do. Why would I, yeah. so why, why retire? Just keep doing what I do. Oh, it's inspiring. Totally inspiring. So, oh man, I, I, I got to say thank you again. I, I appreciate you sharing part of your story. I know there's a lot of other things we could have covered, but I think what you shared has been truly beneficial. And especially knowing that there's been many people that have gone through challenges, they've gone through trauma, they've gone through losses, but yours is a message of of hope and to keep pushing forward. And I, and I truly thank you for helping to inspire others. Again, thank you. <laughs> thank you so oh, much. Nice 
for those that are listening, if you're listening to the podcast and you want to actually see who we are, check us out on the YouTube channels. You can find us there. Subscribe there. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can find an edited version that's all cleaned up and we don't have all of these mistakes on the podcast. I mean, we love each other. So, And then the last thing, and I always say this, those that are crafting your narrative, we want to hear from you. Our hearts are of the manner that if something's inspired you, something that's that's allowed you to be able to change things, we really, truly want to hear from you. Dave, I know, is the same way, and that's why he's on here, because as an empath, you can totally hear in his voice that he really wants to hear from you. So again, thanks, Dave. Appreciate you. Until next time, keep writing and crafting your narrative. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live and enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative, it will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.